It's here, everybody. Living Scent has finally been released. I promised you a bonus episode when this was going to happen, and here it is. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Living Scent Podcast. This is actually my first bonus episode. And the reason why we're doing a bonus episode is because I have some exciting news to share. My book, Living Scent, Discover How Everyday Habits Can Make an Eternal Difference, is now officially released. You can get it in paperback form. I am beyond thrilled, and that's why I wanted to make this special podcast just for the Living Scent community. If you are new to the podcast, this podcast really exists to equip you to live like an everyday missionary in your household, neighborhood, workplace, and city. And it's based around the idea that every Christ follower is called to be a missionary or a sent one of God. You know, I've been sharing for months now that my new book was going to be released this fall, and it is finally here. If you can't hear the excitement in my voice, I'm so ready for this day. If you'd like to jump in on this and get a copy today, you can simply head over to my website at justinwester.com. That is J-U-S-T-I-N W-E-S-T-E-R.com and go to the book tab and pick up your copy today. I've been praying that this book begins to help you rethink what it means to be and live like a missionary, and I just can't wait to hear how God uses it in your life. What I'd like to do on this episode is actually just read the first chapter of the book to you. It's called You Are Sent, and it really begins to introduce some of the big main ideas of the book. So without further ado, here's a sample from my new book, Living Scent, Discover How Everyday Habits Make an Eternal Difference. I hope you enjoy. The church in the West is having an identity crisis. And when I say church, I'm not referring to a building. I'm not referring to a physical space with a street address or an event that occurs on a particular day of the week. What I have in mind goes beyond three to four songs, announcements, a sermon, and a closing song with a prayer. I'm picturing something that doesn't fit nicely within an hour on Sunday mornings. Would it surprise you to hear that when the scriptures refer to the church, they have something entirely different in mind? Ask any person today, what is the church? And you'll likely hear a variety of responses. Oh, it's a place where people go to worship God. It's a, it's a time when religious people can come together to listen to a teaching, sing songs, and pray. It's an event where spiritual things take place. It's a building on a street corner. Can you blame them? This is how the majority of Christians are taught to think and talk about the church From my earliest years, I can remember getting ready to go to church by putting on my nicest clothes and combing my hair, rushing out the door and jumping into the car so we wouldn't be, quote unquote, late for church. And upon my arrival, being shown a nursery rhyme that reinforced all these ideas. Remember this one? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Here's the parson going upstairs. And here he is saying his prayers. As children interlock their fingers and fold their hands, the shape of a building emerges. Thumbs are set side by side to resemble a set of doors, and index fingers are sent skyward to fashion the unmistakable steeple. A simple online search for this nursery rhyme will bring up a popular website that explains how to lead this exercise with young children, and ironically, it's titled, How to Create a Church with Your Fingers. Behold, the church. Is it any wonder then that most of us grew up believing the church is some combination of a place, time, or event? 
If it's not any of those things, then what exactly is church? The building behind the church. Do you see the building behind the church? That was the question that changed things for me. While sitting in a class, a seminary professor projected an image onto the front screen, and there was nothing unusual about it. It looked as if a congregation, maybe 60 to 70 people, had just concluded their service and decided to take a group picture in front of their church. That's when my professor asked, do you see the building behind the church? I looked behind the church, but all I could see were trees and shrubbery. Then I scanned the the, the tree line, but nothing was there. And after a few minutes of silence, my professor said, look closer. I squinted my eyes and I checked the four corners of the photograph, but there's still no building. Where is this thing? I began to wonder. I looked around the class to see if my fellow students were struggling to find it like me. And I couldn't tell. So I did the only thing I knew how. I just stared straight forward and pretended like I wasn't completely clueless. Then my professor broke the silence. Who sees it? He asked, and a few hands went up. He called on one, and the student said, it's, it's right there. He said it as if my professor had just asked the dumbest of questions. So I looked again at the picture as my professor walked to the screen at the front of the classroom. Here is the building, my professor said, pointing to the church. And here is the church, he said, pointing to the people. Ouch. Class dismissed. The problem with thinking that the church is a place, time, or event is twofold. First, the word we translate as church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, and it simply means a gathering or assembly of people. After Peter confesses Jesus to be the Christ in the Gospels, Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus was not referring to a building, he was referring to people. The first time the word church is used in the book of Acts, it says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. People. Many of the Apostle Paul's New Testament letters are addressed to churches, and in every case, to whom do you think he's directly writing? You guessed it. People. Whenever the church is mentioned in the Bible, it's always in relation to the redeemed people of God. So if you are a Christ follower, then the church is who you are. The second reason why referring to the church as a place, time, or event is problematic is because of the disempowering culture it creates. For example, referring to the church as a place often sounds like this. Our church is the big one on the street corner. And are you ready to go to church? Referring to the church as a time can sound like this. Church starts at 10 in the morning. Don't be late. And church only happens on Sundays. You know, when we speak in such a way, we are communicating that church is something other than people. So in other words, we're saying that we are not the church. And unfortunately, this has gone on for far too long, and it's created a culture in which people believe that the church is not who they are, but rather what they do for about an hour every Sunday morning. I mean, would you speak about your family in the same way? How do each of these statements sound? I want want you to try these on. Our family is the big one on the street corner. Hey, are you ready to go to family today? Family starts at 10 this morning. Don't be late. Family only happens on Sundays. Would we speak about our biological families this way? No way. It It sounds ridiculous. 
But many Christ followers, myself included, we are guilty of speaking about the church family in this way. Just like family is not what we do, but who we are, church is not what we do, but who we are. Who is the missionary, really? If someone said to you, please raise your hand if you're a Christ follower, would you raise it? I believe the majority of those reading this book would, in fact, raise their hands. But what if someone then said this to you? Please keep your hand raised if you are a full-time missionary. Would you keep your hand high in the air or would you put it down? You see, while standing before a classroom of about 200 students, I saw the answers to these questions play out before my eyes. After the former question was asked to an evangelism class at a Christian university, I might add, most of the students raised their hand in agreement. However, when the second question was asked, almost everyone's hand dropped. Would it surprise you to hear that if you call yourself a Christ follower, then you are undoubtedly called to be a missionary. Sure, not everybody's going to be led by God to travel overseas, learn a new language, dive headfirst into a foreign culture, but the same missionary identity is present in every Christ follower. Your particular calling may not be to cross the ocean. It may be to cross the street, to live like a missionary within your neighborhood, workplace, or community. The scriptures make no distinction between your identity as a Christ follower and your identity as a missionary. They're one and the same. But if we're honest, calling yourself a missionary and living like one are two different things. Being a missionary is far more than simply inviting someone to a church service or brushing up on your evangelism skills. Jesus has sent his church out to do the hard cross-cultural work of reaching others with the gospel. This means the church should step into the world, not ask the world to step into the church. Brad Briscoe writes, If we fail to go to the people, then to encounter the gospel meaningfully, they must come to us. This is the inbuilt assumption of the attractional church, and it requires that the non-believer do the cross-cultural work to find Jesus and not us. When we ask them to come to us, we are in essence asking them to be the missionaries. And when you think about it, doesn't Jesus perfectly model for the church what a missionary should be? In the incarnation of Jesus, we see the Savior of the world step into the messiness of the world rather than demand the world to come to Him on His terms. Eugene Peterson's translation of Jesus' incarnation within the Gospel of John poignantly reads, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus did the hard cross-cultural work of moving into the neighborhood to bring the good news of the kingdom of God to those who most desperately needed it. He has shown us what it means to be a missionary, and He's calling His church to be the same. So raise your hand if you're a Christ follower, and keep your hand raised if you're a missionary. You are sent. What if the church really believed these things about itself? Instead of Christ followers just going to church, what if the whole church went to the world? Instead of hands dropping in disagreement with being a missionary, can you imagine a room in which every hand stayed up? 
God's plan for the church is not limited to megachurch pastors, religious professionals, or elite super Christians. It is for every member of his church to live as though they have been sent on mission with Jesus in everyday life. Jeff Vanderstelt writes, If you have the Spirit of God, you are a missionary sent by Jesus to tell the world who he is and what he's done. Everywhere you go, whatever you do, you are a missionary sent by Jesus to love like Jesus, overcome sin like Jesus, proclaim the gospel like Jesus, and see people's lives changed by the power of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The remainder of this book is dedicated to helping you do just that. Applying these four missional habits, the sent habits, will reorient your life around God's mission and help you live like a missionary wherever you are. See people like Jesus. Eat with people like Jesus. Neighbor people like Jesus. And talk with people about Jesus. Living Scent is not some random fad or isolated church emphasis, but rather an intentional way to live as sent ones of God. It's a way to partner with Jesus and what He's doing in the world today. You don't have to do this. You get to it.